You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture reading this morning uh, comes from the Gospel from the book of Genesis. In chapter 41, this is the story of Pharaoh's dream and the story of Joseph's interpretation. In verse 14 is where we're going to start our reading of, of, verse four, uh, of chapter 41, and I invite you to page 48 in the Old Testament of your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along with today's reading. Because of the suggestion of his wine steward, the king sent for Joseph, and Joseph was immediately brought from prison. After he had shaved and changed his clothes because he'd been in prison for two years, he came into the king's presence. The king said to him, I have had a dream, and no one can explain it. I have been told that you can interpret dreams. Joseph answered, Well, I cannot, your majesty, but God will give you a favorable interpretation. The king said, I dreamed that I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the river and began feeding on the grass. Then seven other cows came up, which were thin and bony. They were the poorest cows I'd ever seen anywhere in Egypt. The thin cows ate up the fat ones, but no one would have known it because they looked just as bad as before. Then I woke up. I also dreamed that I saw seven heads of grain which were full and ripe growing on one stalk. Then seven heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the desert wind, and the thin heads of the grain swallowed up the full ones. I told these dreams to the magicians, but none of them could explain them to me. Joseph said to the king, these two dreams mean the same thing. God has told you what he is going to do. The seven fat cows are seven years, and the seven full heads of grain are also seven years. They have the same meaning. The seven thin cows, which came up later, and the seven thin heads of grain scorched by the desert winds are seven years of famine. It is just as I told you, God has shown you what he is going to do. There will be seven years of great plenty in the land of Egypt. After that, there will be seven years of famine, and all the good years will be forgotten because the famine will ruin the country. The time of plenty will be entirely forgotten because the famine which follows will be that terrible. The repetition of your dreams means that the matter is fixed by God and that he will make it happen in the near future. Now you should choose some man with wisdom and insight to put him in charge of the country. You must also appoint other officers and take a fifth of the crops during the seven years of plenty. Order them to collect all the food during the good years that they are the good years that are coming and give them authority to store up grain in the cities and guard it. The food will be a reserve supply for the country during the seven years of famine which are going to come upon Egypt. In this way the people will not starve. The king and his officials approved this plan, and he said, We will never find a better man than Joseph, a man who has God's spirit in him. The king said to Joseph, God has shown you all of this, and so it is obvious that you have greater wisdom and insight than anyone else. I will put you in charge of my country, and all people will obey your orders. Your authority will be second only to mine. I now appoint you as the governor over all Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? 
Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. During my sophomore year of college, I was um, encouraged. I was going to say required, but I think encouraged is the better word. I was encouraged by Steve Zebarth to write a letter to the Southwest District Superintendent of the Dakotas Conference of the United Methodist Church. And the DS at that time was a man by the name of Bob Rudabush. I always joked about the fact that I wouldn't be commissioned without the Canton United Methodist Church, and I really believe that. Like, when I was in the ordination process, my commissioning sermon was a sermon that I, that I preached here and then submitted. And Pastor Steve and Pastor Bob are also a part of my story of becoming a pastor. So Bob wrote this letter to Bob Rudabush, and in the letter, it was my intention to declare that I was entering into the ministry candidacy process. I was starting a process my sophomore year of college that would eventually lead to my ordination as a full elder in the United Methodist Church. Throughout college and seminary, I navigated this process. Thank God I had a good mentor named Steve Zebarth. But I had the opportunity to write a paper of historic questions that were asked of ministry candidates dating all the way back to John Wesley. In Confirmation Kids, this is your time to shine. John Wesley is... The creator of the Methodist Church. Thank you. We're going to have a confirmation today. I'm joking. That's a joke. We would have done it either way, but they know who John Wesley is. I also had to start a meeting with the District Committee on Ministry, and I also had the opportunity to take a Phase 1 psychological evaluation, which meant that I got to take the MMPI-2, a psychological battery containing 576 true-false questions. Are we having fun yet? This was a part of a process. After college and into seminary, I continued that process. I graduated from seminary in 2013. I was commissioned as a provisional elder at that year's annual conference. But even that was just a step in a process. After commissioning, I had the opportunity to continue to work towards ordination. The ordination process is a bunch of stuff, including a second 20-page doctrinal evaluation, a phase two psychological evaluation, proving that I'm crazy enough to be a pastor. And then the moment finally came. June 11th, or June 10th, 2016, after a fire drill and a hymn sing in the parking lot of First United Methodist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I was ordained by Bishop O and made a provisional or a full elder in the Dakota's conference. This process that started all the way back in 2008 was finally complete. But it was all just a process. There were milestones along the way, and they were amazing, and they were well worth celebrating, and we did. But these milestones were mere moments in a much larger process. Because the formal process of becoming a pastor was over, but guess what was next? Literally everything else. 
By the time I was ordained in 2016, I was serving in my second appointment at Burke, Herrick, and Jameson, and there was ministry happening all around us. We took one Sunday to celebrate, and we had a big service and a special meal at the Civic Center, but after that, it was business as usual. This was a part of a process that led to a greater destination. And here we are on Confirmation Sunday. My dear friends are sitting here on the verge of their confirmation, on the verge of this big moment. Something exciting is about to happen. The end of your process is in sight. Over the past couple of years, the past two years, you've learned about the United Methodist Church. You've learned who John Wesley is. You've learned what we believe. You've explored the Bible played some epic hide-and-seek, and watched a movie about John Wesley that I wish we all could forget. It's bad, team. It's not a good movie. It's not. Don't even lie, Corey. It's not a good movie. But I just want you to know that I'm proud of you. I want you to know that your church is proud of you, that this congregation is proud of you. And I want you to celebrate this day and take every single moment of it in. But I also want you to realize that this is a part of a process. That this is a part of a lifelong process. This is a segment in a much larger story about lifelong faithfulness. Lifelong learning, lifelong growing in love and trust of God. And what I find so interesting is that the excitement and the joy that I hope you're feeling today is the same excitement and joy that exists in our story from Scripture this morning. Because Joseph felt finally some joy in the story. Because we have finally reached the point in Joseph's story where things are going to start to get better. If you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, you know that we're walking through a message series based on the life of Joseph from the Old Testament. And Joseph's life story is a story that starts off awesome. He is the favorite son of his father's twelve other or 11 other sons, and his father just stops at nothing to show that he is the favorite but then it all goes from bad to worse. His brothers betray him. His brothers beat him up and leave him for dead, and only at the last moment they sell him into slavery. From slavery he goes into prison because he's falsely accused of some grave wrongdoing, and he's made to be a servant, even in prison. Joseph is the lowest of the low. And we talked last week about Joseph interpreting dreams for the wine steward and for the chief baker of the Pharaoh. And Joseph's like, hey guys, don't forget me, I'm down here. And then Joseph gets forgotten. For two whole years, the entire time that you had been in confirmation, Joseph was just chilling in prison. Pretty low, right? But finally, the story is about to turn. After being forgotten by almost everybody, finally, the story, the story is about to turn. 
And what makes it so powerful, what makes this turn so powerful, is that finally someone remembers Joseph. As we heard in Scripture, Joseph is finally remembered because Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream that no one can understand. It's a dream of seven fat calves and seven good-looking um, pieces of, of, of wheat and then seven skinny calves and, and not-so-good-looking pieces of wheat. And Pharaoh calls together his best and his brightest, but even they can't figure it out. Until the wine steward says, Oh, you had a dream you don't understand? That happened to me one time. Oh, wait, yeah, that guy, Joseph. Joseph told me what it meant. And so the, so the king, so the pharaoh, calls for Joseph. And as we have seen throughout this entire story, God is with Joseph. And as we have seen throughout this entire story, God being with Joseph has implications. It matters because everything Joseph does ends up working out. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream. Joseph provides an interpretation, and he even goes so far as to propose his own economic policy for the entire nation of Egypt. And finally, after weeks of being told that the story is not going to get better, after weeks of being told that the story is just going to get worse and worse and worse, it gets better. Joseph essentially becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph becomes the right-hand man of Pharaoh. With God's blessing all over Joseph's head, it gets better. And this, my friends, is a high and holy moment when Joseph shows why he had these dreams of greatness as a child. He is the star that is shining brighter than his brother's star who would have been languishing back at home. He is the most impressive sheaf of wheat, more impressive than his brother's who would be back at home starving. But for now, I want you to notice the moment. I want you to notice this moment this is an important moment. It is Joseph's literal crowning achievement. After decades of suffering, after decades of false starts, after decades of absolute hopelessness, Joseph realizes his God-given potential. Joseph becomes a leader, even a leader in a foreign land. But this is just a moment. Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph made an economic policy, and that is all worth celebrating. But what comes next? Literally the entire rest of his life. But what we see is that God has been with Joseph thus far, and so God shall continue to be with Joseph. God was with Joseph as he endured hardship for so long, and God will be with Joseph as he endures hardship going forward. 
God will be with Joseph when Egypt pushes back on Joseph's plan. God will be with Joseph when, the, when the Egypt realizes, hey, wait, why, wait, just a second, why is this scandalous Hebrew guy who's not even from here allowed to just dictate what we're supposed to do? God will even be with Joseph after this 14-year cycle of feast and famine is nothing more than a distant memory. Confirmands, it is my prayer for you today that this is one of those moments where you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with you. Because God is with you. It's a day that I hope that you remember fondly. But I also hope that this is not your crowning achievement. I hope that this is a day that is an important day, but just one other day that is a step in becoming the disciple that God made you to be. This is a step. This is important. This is worth celebrating. But it is a step in a much larger story. And for the rest of us, it is my hope that today we take a second to think of our own milestone moments. Maybe even back to our own confirmations. Maybe back to that time at summer camp or that awesome retreat or that amazing Bible study or that random cup of coffee that turned into something godly. Maybe even our own ordinations. I want you to take a moment and think back and smile and give thanks to God. Because these are moments that have brought you to where you are. These are milestones in a journey that Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. But I also hope that you remember that God continues to be with you. And that God is constantly calling all of us to take one more step, one further step in the process of becoming the disciple that God wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the example that is given to us in your word of what lifelong faithfulness looks like. And we give you thanks for our ability to walk in that lifelong faithfulness. I give you thanks for these confirmands. I give you thanks for the journey that they have been on over the past two years, the, the fun we've had, the learning we've had, the challenges we've endured. It has all been a part of the time that has led to this, the moment of their confirmation. God, be near to them in this moment. Be near to all of us in our lives and help us always have the courage to take the next step of faithfulness in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. 
just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.